our sermon passage is Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. You may be seated. Team, thank you. Friends, if you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Titus, chapter 1. you got to be precise or you're going to miss it because it goes fast. This is a joyful day for me as a pastor. We're starting a new book of the scripture, and I'm really joyful about the study that we're diving into in the book of Titus. This morning, what I want to do is I could just say we're starting a new book, chapter 1, verse 1, let's go, but I actually... I want to slow down for just a second, and I want to share a little vision of why we study books of the Bible and some ways that you can be a part of this study of the book of Titus. And then we'll look at the beginnings of this letter. And here's what we're going to see is that the book of Titus, this letter, is written for the church to position the church for faithfulness in the present and in the future. So the book of Titus is written for the church to position the church for faithfulness now and faithfulness in the days to come. So let's begin uh, with our first point, if you're going to take notes this morning, studying Titus together, studying Titus together. Um. I want to help explain where we're going and help you know what to expect and how you can be a part of of where we're going. So um, our approach to preaching here at Redeemer is a commitment to allow the Bible to speak as it's written. And, And we believe that the best way to allow the Bible to speak as it's written is to work work through books of the Bible. So those of you that have been with us, we just spent over a year in the book of Exodus. Um, I don't know how I could make 50 plus sermons out of Titus. So um, probably looking at a six to eight weeks here, but we want to allow the Bible to speak to us as it's written. We want it to shape us. We want it to shape our gatherings. So, so we preach through... Um, books of the Bible. Today, um, we're starting Titus, and um, literally, there's no metaphor here. I'd like you to take a second and flip through the book of Titus. No metaphor, okay? All right. That's going to be important in just a minute. Um, We're going to work from from the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, through the end. Um, So what I'd like for you to do is, is to wrestle with this question. How can I be a part of the study of Titus. 
And, and the statement I want to give you as clearly as I can is, is sermon series are not just about what the preacher says. Sermon series are not just about what the preacher says. Frankly, there's a, a drastic sense in which it doesn't matter what I say. It matters what God has said. So when I say I want the book of Titus to shape us, I, I, I don't just mean I want the book of Titus to shape our sermons for a few months. But what I mean is I want the book of Titus to shape me and to shape you and to shape our families and, and to shape our congregation. We want what God has said to take root and to shape us. And so the sermons are a conduit to Titus, but there are others. We'll talk about those in just a minute. But, but we want Titus to shape us. We want Titus to shape us. And the emphasis here is on us. When you read through Titus tomorrow morning, because I'm going to ask you to, I want you to note that Paul, the author of Titus, is not concerned about what other churches are doing wrong. He's not really even concerned about what the world is doing wrong. He's concerned about the Christians on Crete. He's concerned about the Christians in this church who are spewing error and dissension. He's concerned about the faithful in this church who are struggling to be faithful. His focus is on the church, which if we then personalize, that means that Titus is intended to shape us, not them. And if we're reading it through a them lens, we're reading it wrong. So let's commit that Titus was written to bring conviction, teaching, correction, and reformation to me and to us. And let's not worry so much about what others are doing wrong or doing right for that matter. Let's let the Lord shape us. How then can you connect to Titus? Number one, please come on Sundays and engage with the sermons. The sermons are a, a, a vital primary conduit to Titus. Come on Sundays. If you miss, we post both an audio recording or if you really struggle to listen without seeing this beautiful face, we post a video recording as well. Please engage with, with the sermons. Second, please engage with Titus as written. Okay, again, take an entire second and thumb through it. Three chapters. I, if you were to simply read Titus every day, you could knock it out six times a week and then come to a sermon on Sunday. If that's too much, you could read one chapter a day and you could work through Titus twice every week. But it's important that we spend time in Titus. Do you guys all have a favorite movie? Favorite movie? Okay. Good movies are worth watching multiple times. Bad movies 
You watch them and you never think about them again, right? Here's the thing about good movies. When you rewatch them, two things happen. You notice something you missed the first time because there's depth to it, right? And the good scenes get better because they're good, right? Or is that just me when I watch movies? Those things happen, right? The scripture has an eternal depth to it. And no matter how much you know Titus, every time we work through it, we're going to meet God's word in a way that we haven't met it. We're going to hear things that we haven't heard. We're going to see the crescendo of the hope of the gospel at the end of chapter 2, and it's going to get louder and sweeter and better every time we work through it. So I would just say the more working through Titus we can do, the more familiar with Titus we can become, the better Titus will take root in us and shape us. So you can participate in the sermons. You can read Titus often. Third, you can read Titus prayerfully. You can read Titus prayerfully. Um, I, I do fear that many of us read the Bible the same way we read biology textbooks, okay? Anybody read biology textbooks for fun? I actually had somebody raise their hand over the age of 18 in the first service. We're going to be honest here. Okay, good. Nobody reads biology textbooks for fun. But, but why do we read biology textbooks? To learn data and pass tests, right? Now, now, now don't miss me. We're going to talk a lot about truth this morning. Truth as God has revealed matters. But the scripture is about meeting with the Lord, having the Lord show us how to walk with his spirit, and having the Lord guide us and direct us. So reading the scripture is not just about data. It's about the Lord being at work. So when I say read prayerfully, what I mean is this. Lord, will praying out loud, pleading, Lord, would you show me your desires for me? Would you show me your desires for our church as I read and reflect? And then read. And then know what you see and think and hear. And then do it again. Here's the thing. I'm getting ahead of myself, but you should know this. This is not the first time we've preached Titus at Redeemer. It's actually the second. And um, this week, I went back and pulled out old sermon notes from 2010 when we preached through Titus. And they were bad, bad, <laughs> bad. Um, but here's the beautiful thing. I'm not the man that I was in 2010. And our church is not the church that it was in 2010. And the scripture has a depth and a vastness to it that it can speak to and shape and transform and give faith to Jamie Mosley circa 2010 and Jamie Mosley circa 2021 and I hope Jamie Mosley circa 2050. It can do the same for our church. It can do the same for you. So no matter where you are, no matter how many times you've studied Titus, no matter how many awesome, well-renowned preachers you've listened to through the book of Titus, the issue is the Lord will meet with me now in his word. 
and shape my thinking and my theology and my desires and my living for now. That's the goal. Not something that happened back when, but something that happened now. So connect with the messages. Read Titus often. Read Titus prayerfully. And then I'm going to ask forth, read Titus for Redeemer. Or if you're visiting with us today, and Redeemer is not the local church that you regularly, regularly participate with, read Titus with your local church in mind. And here's why I say that. Titus is a book written for the church. It's a book written to shape the church. It's a book written to give foundation and footing and direction to the church. Look at verse 5. Paul's writing to Titus. We'll talk about that in just a minute. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained in into order. <clears throat> Paul is writing to shape the church. He's writing for the church to put what is needed into order. So I'm, I'm pleading with you. If I have any influence over you, if I have any leadership capital to spend with you, what I'm saying is, would you come to Titus with an open heart, a ready spirit, and diligently asking the Lord to speak and to teach and to shape. That's what I'm pleading for. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Redeemer's history. <clears throat> On Sunday, September 19th, 2010, we held our first worship service at the Sumner County YMCA. Uh, we were all on our second outfit of the day because the first one was dripping with sweat and left to dry. And our sermon text that day was Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So we, for the first time in the history of Redeemer, are intentionally revisiting a sermon series. So for the first time, we're intentionally revisiting a sermon series. Why, you might ask, should we revisit a sermon series? First, Titus is a book written to help a young church find its footing and find the path toward faithfulness. We believe that in many ways the Lord used the truths of Titus and other books to help us find our footing and a path toward faithfulness. The primary reason I believe that is because here we are going on year 11 and the Lord still sees fit to give us life and give us a body and give us direction and give us hope. But we don't just want to look back and say we got a footing, we found a path toward faithfulness because we understand that footings are slippery and faithfulness is always imperfect. And so we look toward the next decade, the next 11 years, yearning for a strong foundation and a direction toward faithfulness. So what was true 11 years ago is still true. We need to hear it. We need to be shaped by it. We don't need to assume it. We need the message of Titus 
Here's the second reason why we're revisiting Titus. Currently, there are way too many voices shouting direction at the local church. What the church should do, what the church should believe, what the church should accept, what the church should reject, what is most helpful, and what is unhelpful. And in the midst of the cacophony of voices, it's just a lot of confusion and frustration. So what do we do? We go to the Lord and we say, Lord, would you show us what you want for your church? And then would you help us follow you on that path, even if it's hard, even if it's frustrating, and honestly, even if we don't like it, would you help us follow after you and what you've spoken and what you've revealed? Would you fill us with needed conviction and needed compassion? Would you fill us with needed digging our heels in and needed malleability to be the people that you're calling your church to be? That's the prayer that I have for Redeemer, is that we would be a church that's faithful to the vision of our Lord Jesus as revealed in the scriptures. So Paul writes, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So this book is for the local church, which then pushes us to our second point, And we're going to spend our time in the first four verses of Titus here for the local church. The letter of Titus is written to position local churches for faithfulness in the present and in the future. We're going to work through this over the coming weeks, but let's look at some of the basic foundations of this book. Some of the basic foundations of this book for the local church. Number one, Titus is a, is a personal letter. It's a personal letter. It is written by Paul to Titus. We see that in verse one, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Verse four, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So what we have is a personal letter from Paul to Titus. Paul calls himself a servant of God and an apostle, a sent one of Jesus Christ, which means that Paul's life and Paul's ministry are about building the church of Jesus through the message of Jesus for the glory of God. That's Paul's life work. And he's writing to Titus, who he calls his true child in a common faith, which means Titus shares this faith in Jesus and Paul is a father-like figure to him, not his biological father, but a father-like figure who has shaped Titus in the faith. And then verse five tells us that Paul left Titus in Crete to continue the establishment of the local church there. Crete is an island off of Greece. There's no good way to get there, and there's no good way to get out of there. But Paul 
left Titus in Crete to establish the churches. And he's writing this personal letter to Titus to help him do the work of establishing churches. Now, before we leave this point about a personal letter, let's play Bible nerd for a minute. Some of you care. Tune in. Some of you are like, I don't care about Bible nerds. I'm going to give you about a 90-second break, okay? But this is how this all fits into the totality of the Scripture. Titus shows up on Paul's missionary journeys that are recorded in the book of Acts. We see in the letter of 2 Corinthians that Titus is with Paul and a part of the work there. And if you want to kind of put the whole Bible together, most scholars believe, and I would agree with them, that the missionary work among the Cretans on the island of Crete and the leaving of Titus and the writing of this letter all happen chronologically after the end of the book of Acts, okay? So Acts chapter 28, Paul's in prison, Paul most scholars believe, gets out of that imprisonment, goes back to work, and the work that he goes to takes him to places like Crete, to the establishment of this church, to the leaving of Titus there, and to the writing of this letter. Now, Bible nerd moment over, calling everyone back, okay? So we have this personal letter from Paul to Titus. Second, we have a personal letter with the local church in mind. So while the letter is personally addressed from Paul to Titus, what we see throughout the letter is that what's in Paul's mind is not how Titus is doing, how his favorite sporting event went, what his favorite Cretan restaurant is, but rather Paul is concerned singularly about the health of the churches that he left Titus to work in. Let's walk through the letter together. Verse 5, he says, Titus, I left you in Crete so that you might, put, you might put what remained in order. So I want you to appoint elders in every town. Chapter 1, verse 10, I want you to silence the deceivers among the faithful. Chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to teach sound doctrine to the faithful and help older men and older women and younger men and younger women and bondservants to know how to walk with the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1, I want you to show everyone how to be faithful and godly in the world. Chapter 3, verse 14, I want you to show our people how to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So the the focus and the intent of the book of Titus is for Titus to shape and teach and instruct and form faithful local churches with a strong footing and the right direction. And so you might say, okay, what is that faithful footing in that right direction? So look back at verse 5 with me. This is why I left you in Crete. Why? What is the this is why? Let's let's go back up. Paul is going to share his... 
calling, the purpose of his ministry, the purpose of his missionary journeys and his church planting and his preaching. He's going to share the purpose of that. And then what he says to Titus is, and I left you there for the same purpose. This is why I left you. So Paul's purpose, he's making Titus's purpose. So notice he doesn't say, Titus, I want you to go and have a little self-help retreat and ask the Lord what his vision for your life is. Paul says, Titus, I'm giving it to you. It's the same one Jesus gave to me. And we probably would commend us to take that up as well. But I digress. So we come back. Paul, a servant of God, this is chapter 1, verse 1, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of, this is why Paul is writing, this is why he's ministering. For the sake of, first, the text says, the faith of God's elect. For the sake of the faith of God's elect. We're going to come back. And second, their knowledge of the truth. Third, which accords with godliness. And fourth, in the hope of eternal life. So Paul is writing and ministering for the faith of God's elect, their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, which brings the hope of eternal life. I hope you see those four things just coming right out of the passage. So first, Paul is working for the sake of God's elect. I'm sorry, the sake of the faith of God's elect. So Paul is using elect, God's elect, as a way to speak of those who believe in Christ and those who will later believe in Christ. When he says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, he's saying, for the sake of the faith of those who are the church of Jesus and will be the church of Jesus. Now, we can talk more about this phrase, and we will talk more about this phrase in the coming days. But he says, I labor, I write, and I minister that God's people, God's elect, God's church would have a deepening faith in Jesus. Faith is a word that means trust. It's a word that means entrusting oneself to another. Faith is not a merely cognitive word. It's a commitment word. I have faith in Christ. And what Paul is saying is I labor and I write so the church will have a deepening faith in Jesus. That faith in Jesus is faith that our place in God's kingdom in God's book of life, in God's church, and in God's family is because of the life and ministry and death of resur- and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. We have faith in Christ. And what Paul is saying is, is I labor that that faith would deepen. Our faith in Christ deepens as we learn to trust him more and we learn to lean into him more and we learn to let go of other hopes and other visions and other aspirations to have Christ and be satisfied in him. 
Now, there, there's something that is important for us to, to grasp here, okay? We all trust multiple things in our lives, okay? So when I, as a preacher, say, trust Christ for salvation alone, we're saying we don't trust in anything else to make us children of God or to make us acceptable in his sight. But we're not saying we don't have trust in anything else ever, okay? Does that, let, me, let me see if I can flesh this out. You all right now are entrusting yourself to your chair. You're trusting that that chair will hold you up. You're trusting that you're not going to fall. You're trusting that it's going to hold you. Now, hear me out. I believe that a Christian can have a deepening faith in Christ and a subservient, far lower than secondary, entrusting of ourselves to our chairs to hold us up. And here's the thing. If your chair fails you and you fall down, you'll have a sore bottom and Jesus will still be Lord and he will still keep you in his hand and he will still love you and he'll still care for you. So when we say a deepening faith in Christ, we're saying a deepening conviction, a deepening love, a deepening hope that our place before God is in Christ alone and nothing can threaten that. But often when we as the church say alone, we hear, and I can't trust anything else ever. And I'm just telling you, that's not possible. So the question is, do I trust Christ as supreme? Do I take my commitment to Jesus, my commitment to his promises, my commitment to his word, my commitment to his salvation, and do I trust that more than all the other things? Paul's saying he labors that the faith of God's elect would have deepening faith. Second, he labors that the God's, that, excuse me, that God's elect, God's people, God's church would have a deepening knowledge of God's truth. That the people of God would have a deepening knowledge of God's truth. So, this says, know, which is cognitive, moving to experiential, know truth. Truth is that which God has revealed that is true. And friends, true means not false. You're like, dude, I know that. But we have to remember that. What that means is there are things which are true and things which are false. Those things which are false are a threat to truth. The scripture tells us that God has revealed for us everything that we need to know about him for a life of faith and godliness. Truth matters. Now, there are places where the scripture doesn't flesh everything out for us, but truth matters Untruth is dangerous, and Paul says that he labors for the church to have a knowledge of God's truth. I would long for us to have a knowledge of God's truth that's ever deepening and ever growing. Third, 
which accords with godliness. Which accords with godliness. Not, notice what Paul says. He says, faith, knowledge, which brings about godliness. A right faith in Christ and a right knowledge of truth brings about godliness. Let me define godliness. Godliness is active, personal devotion in thought, word, and deed to God based upon the desires of God revealed in God's word. Godliness is active, personal devotion to God in thought, in word, and in deed that is based upon obedience to God and God's word. What Paul is saying is that he doesn't just labor for Christians to have faith and truth, but to have faith and truth, which bears the fruit of godliness, of a life captured by the Lord. Now, I'm going to date myself, okay? I'm old. I'm old enough to be having a midlife crisis, okay? And that's been funny both hours and nobody's laughed. So maybe I'm believing lies. But anyway, but in my generation, when I was in college, way back when some of you guys were still in diapers, um, and when our parents were still walking up hills in the snow, barefooted to school both ways and all that jazz, okay? But, but, but one of the most misleading and unhelpful truths spinning around the Christian community was this. If we're saved by grace and we're saved through faith, then we don't need to tell people what to think or what to do. Because it's covered by grace through faith. Paul says, no, that's not true. He says, faith and truth produce godliness. If you remember anything from Exodus, if all God wanted to do was get them out of Egypt, it would have been a 13-chapter book. But it was 40. The other 23 was God saying, now I'm going to shape you as my people. And the majority of your New Testament is not just Christ dying for our sins, which he did, which is our hope, but it's God saying through his apostles, and now I'm going to shape you as my people. So I just want us to believe that the Lord desires and yearns a life of godliness from those who are of faith and know the truth. Fourth, Paul says, in hope of eternal life. And what he's saying is this, the faith, the truth, and the godliness are intended to be fueled by hope in what God has promised for his people. So look with me at verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So what Paul is saying is, I preach because God sent me 
to tell of eternal hope, which had been promised since the beginning of time. Paul saying, my message, my ministry, my work is of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit to produce the hope of eternal life in God's people. The Lord wants us to be renewed by hope, energized by hope, fueled by hope that this world isn't our home, that this world isn't our final destination, that the sin and the death and the suffering and the struggle that we all face doesn't define blessed shalom in the presence of God, but that something far better does. Paul says, I want you to be filled with hope of eternal life. So so here's what I want to conclude with. Paul's writing to Titus to produce in the church deepening faith, deepening understanding of truth, increasing lives of godliness fueled by increasing hope in what God has promised. It's what I want for me. It's what I want for you. It's what I want for us. It's what I want to flow out of Titus. So, friends, this pushes us to a really important question. Have I heard and received and believed the message Jesus Christ as Savior. If I have, the scripture says I'm a child of God. The scripture says I'm God's people. I'm church. God is for me. God has forgiven me. I'm welcomed into his kingdom. And Paul's desires for these Christians on Crete would be Paul's desires for we who are in Christ. Deepening faith. Growing knowledge of truth. Increasing godliness, increasing hope in Christ. So if you're wrestling with that, if you're a Christian here today, a follower of Jesus, and you're wrestling with that, what does God want for me answer? What does God want for my life? That's really it. Like, that's the roadmap. I'd love to talk with you and help you figure out how to navigate that. When it gets down to questions like, where should I work and what school should my kids go to? The one that's going to help you have deepening faith, great knowledge of truth, Growing godliness, hope in Jesus. That's what he wants. Let's navigate those things. We'll be repeating these themes over and over in Titus. If you're here today exploring the faith, if you're here today wondering what it means to be a Christian, if you're here today wondering who in the world are these people, if you're here today because somebody just made you come, let me just say this. I'm so glad that you're here. I don't care why you're here. I'm glad that you're here. And I believe that the Lord is so providential in his working that it's no accident that you're here. And I want you to hear that Christ would want you to consider him today. Would you consider Jesus today? If you'd want to do that, you can talk to me after the service. I'll be hanging out out there. Or you can go out those double doors to the left, and there's a black table. On the black table, there are resources that would help you know who Christ is and consider him. There are people standing behind said table who would love to help you consider Christ and know how to take a step toward him. That's where you are today. We plead with you to consider Jesus. So our Father and our God, we pray now.
that you would take these words which you've spoken and that you would drive them deeply, powerfully into our souls in such a way that we would trust you, know you, follow you, have hope in you. Lord, this is what we long for today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.